Everybody needs money. That's why they call it money. The best things in life are free. But you can give them to the birds and bees. I need From Fool Global Headquarters, this is Motley Fool Money. It's the Motley Fool Money Radio Show. I'm Chris Hill. Joining me in studio this week from Motley Fool Income Investor James Early and from Million Dollar Portfolio, Charlie Travers and Ron Gross. Good to see you, gents, as Good always. Good to see How you, you Chris. We will dig into the latest news on retail, healthcare, gaming, and more. We will head down under to look at investing in Australia. And as always, we'll give you an inside look at the stocks on our radar. But we begin this week in the Magic Kingdom. Strong second quarter results from the Walt Disney Company. Profits up 22%, higher than expected, Ron. Theme parts, consumer products, two divisions looking particularly good. I feel like singing Let It Go. Can we all just for a moment? <laughs> well, well <laughs> Frozen is a big part of this. It is a big part. And everything um, really looks strong. Usually we're focused on ESPN. Where we always say we always lead with that. In this case, if you had to pick a weak spot, it would be that. Um, the high cost of Major League Baseball, World Cup, eight into profits. We actually saw a reduction there. Everything else was great, though. But, James, when you look at the Walt Disney Company, it's hard to remember, but it, it wasn't that long ago that there were serious problems in one or multiple of these divisions. But uh, to Ron's point, when, when your problem is, well, media isn't making quite as much money as it used to, uh, things are pretty good. This is one of those stocks, Chris, that has looked a little bit expensive for a long time. And I've kicked myself for the past, I would say, three years for, for, for not buying earlier. So I would concur. And it's really nice to see, you know, we went through the years of the John Carters, if you remember that wonderful movie and the huge write downs and really some flops. And the studio is really doing wonderfully now. We mentioned Frozen, but you have Captain America. Maleficent did really well. Um, so that does bodes well for the studios. It bodes well for DVD sales, which has also been a troubled spot um, at, at certain points of time. Next year, we have Star Wars. We have a Pixar movie coming out in um the 2015, probably, The Good Dinosaur, I think it's called. Um, so the studio's really doing well. Then you have the rebounds of the parks. ESPN, even if it's weak, it still produces a ton of cash flow. company's doing really well. Are you allowed back in the parks now? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what that means. <laughs> well, let's move on to retail. Second quarter profit from Michael Kors was better than expected. Sales were up in Europe and Japan. Charlie, this looked like a really good quarter, and the stock barely moved this week. Yeah, I would say it's a phenomenal quarter. Uh, revenue's up 43%. They did 24% comps. Uh, I can't think of any other retailer that does those kind of numbers these days, and their run over the last few years has been absolutely phenomenal. It's not just uh, North America, but Europe, Japan. It's really globally. They're just crushing it. Uh but, the, yeah, as you mentioned, the stock was down. There's two concerns here. Uh, the first is that comps are slowing down. They said they're going to do high teens for the rest of the year. Uh, if anyone else could do high teens, you'd be thrilled about that. But from where they've been, that's a little light. Um, but still, it's fantastic. Uh, but then the other concern was falling gross margins. Um, I think a lot of the analysts were worried about discounting. Uh, the industry is highly competitive, uh, but it's not just Michael Kors seeing gross margins slipping a bit. Uh, com- big competitors like Coach and Kate Spade have also seen their gross margins down this year. Uh, they did say on the call that they brought their fall items out too early and that their consumers were still interested in the spring items, and that's part of the reason for the decline. Uh, they're not worried about it, and you know, given their track record, I really wouldn't be either. I'm glad you mentioned Coach, because as you indicated, the day Michael Kors came out with this report, the stock was down. It rebounded later in the week. On the flip side, you look at Coach, which also reported this week, fourth quarter sales down, profits for the quarter down more than 60%. 
and shares of Coach up around 8% for the week. How low are the expectations for Coach? I know it's been struggling lately, but uh, come yeah. on. Well, Coach had been doing comps of about minus 20. Yeah. So when the, <laughs> when you do better than that, I mean, really, the expectations for Coach were absolutely horrible because their new products don't come out until next month. Uh, you know, they thought that they are just going to struggle until that happened, uh, but they came out better than everyone thought. And, Charlie, it's a little-known fact that you actually follow Purse blogs fairly uh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Like purse blog. Yeah, yeah. So got, so you're optimistic about coach. You joke, but absolutely. When, when Charlie was doing a ton of research for for coach, he was he was on he those blogs. We've yeah, actually discussed it. Yeah, yeah. 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 Got to do it. That's the product. Bank of America is reportedly close to the biggest settlement ever with the U.S. Department of Justice. Uh, this, of course, is related to the bad mortgages sold in the run up to the 2008 financial crisis. And James, the numbers that are being reported, this would be a settlement somewhere in the neighborhood of 16 to 17 billion dollars. $9 billion would be fines to federal and state governments. The rest would go to consumer relief. Assuming this gets announced in the next week or so, is this finally the end for Bank of America in terms of the damage that was done? Chris, the beauty of America is that anybody can sue anybody at any time. Uh, so there's no guarantee that this is not the end. But I have to think, if you're a private investor, you probably sued them already. The, the, the This is Settles with basically the attorney general and all the states attorneys, state attorneys general, I believe. So it's probably the end. Uh, I, th- I think Washington Post said they've paid now six. They will have paid sixty-six billion in total legal costs, but I think they lost about nine hundred and sixty-five billion, or they sold about nine hundred and sixty-five billion in bad uh, uh, mortgage-backed loans. So it's it's still a small portion compared to the damage they caused. Yeah, our colleague David Hansen uh, tweeted out earlier this week, for the amount of money that Bank of America has paid in settlements, they could have bought the likes of Whole Foods, Chipotle, Under Armour, Waste Management, etc. If you're Brian Moynihan, the CEO, are you happy that this is now almost behind you, or does this raise the bar for him to actually? Because he, now he can no longer. He use has this no as more excuses. Excuse. Yeah, I mean he's 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 made a lot of excuses and 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 that's hurt him. Um, I I think he's he should be happy. Bank of America just got the okay to raise its dividend for the first time in I want to say seven years too, which is also pretty exciting. So yeah, now it's on him. Back in February, CVS announced it would stop selling tobacco products. This week, CVS reported second quarter profits rose 11%, but Charlie, they break out their earnings, uh, they break out the pharmacy section and what they call the front store sales. That's where the tobacco products were being sold. And for CVS this quarter, front store sales were down about a half percent. And I think it's reasonable to look at this and say, well, you know, for all the applause they got from some quarters, uh, for, you know, from some corners to stop selling tobacco. This is affecting their business. It is, and it's going to affect it even more as they roll through their fiscal year. Uh, Their goal is to be totally out of tobacco by the fall. So if you're in a CVS and you see tobacco behind the shelves, uh, it's because it's not, you know, broadly across the company at this time, but it's on the way. And as a result, the full-year impact is going to be even worse than what they reported this quarter. Uh, They said about a 4% drop in their comps for that segment for their full fiscal year. but I actually think it's not as bad overall as what that sounds because they say it's about $2 billion in annual sales from not selling tobacco anymore. And that sounds like a big number. Uh, but their front-of-store retail segment overall did $65 billion in sales. So it's, it's a big number, but relative to how big CVS is, it's not a lot. James, I have to believe that this is a move that you applauded at the time. I'm curious, though, as an investor, does this get you more interested 
in a business like CVS? Well, you know, CVS has outrageous fees. So I just I just don't like them as as a consumer. But certainly, it does get me more interested. I like their, their streamlining. I mean, obviously, the C, you know, a company can sell anything they want to. They make a choice on on what they're offering is. So I think CVS is making the right choice. Coming up, one consumer goods company decides that bigger is definitely not better. Stay right here. You're listening to Motley Fool Money. All the best things in life Welcome back to Motley Fool Money. Chris Hill here in studio with James Early, Charlie Travers, and Ron Gross. Shares of Activision Blizzard up on Wednesday after both sales and profits for the second quarter came in higher than expected. This is the company behind popular video games like Call of Duty, World of Warcraft. Ron, this is one that you watch. What do mm-hmm. you think of the quarter? Yeah, we've owned it for a long time, and it's done really well for us. And the quarter looked really great. Although, if you look at the headline, you might not think so because earnings were down. But the thing is, with these kind of businesses, as with movie businesses, it's really lumpy. It depends when you release new games um, and when those rev- that revenue comes on board. But they've got the number one and two top-selling console game. They have the number one-selling PC game. World of Warcraft um, continues to do well. But I think most importantly is they have three new releases that are really highly anticipated coming this fall. Um, which will be the needed catalyst uh, th- that they need to uh, get the, that revenue back to where we want to see it and get the growth going. I want to get to one of the new releases in a second, but it also seemed like a big uh, part of the enthusiasm around this quarter was digital sales. I- I'm just curious, how much is that moving the needle for the bottom line, though? Because digital sales were up something like 70% over a year ago. It's important, and it makes the business less lumpy as well. We, As we said, a lot of this is based on when things get released. But the digital sales are, have a more of a recurring revenue nature to them, and it's actually one of the reasons we really liked Activision in the first place. Uh, CEO Bobby Kotick talked about Destiny, which is a new game coming September 9th. Do I have this number right? They spent $500 million on this oh my game. Gosh. I, they spent a lot. I, I can't <laughs> confirm exactly that number, but it was a whole lot of money. And, and they have Skylanders, the next one coming out, Call of Duty, the next one coming out as well. It takes a lot of money. Um, That's two John Carters. But then, yeah. <laughs> but then when you see um, these come out and they say, you know, biggest uh, weekend of all time, including movies, um, you see some of those types of headlines, you can see that the investment was worth it. But they got to be good. Uh, are we getting close to a requiem for Zynga? Because they also reported earnings this week, and I say earnings in air quotes because the, it was really a loss that was bigger than expected. Uh, they lowered guidance. They delay. The, the delay, I think, is the big deal. They pushed I, games out into late 2014, but in probably 2015. So those that are interested in the Zynga story have to wait for profits at least probably until 2015. You've got to be really patient to wait for that um, when you when you look at a company like Zynga. So. I continue to not be a fan. Shares of Lululemon up on Friday after founder and former chairman Chip Wilson agreed to sell about half of his stake in the yoga apparel company. Uh, Good news, I think, Charlie, for shareholders, because this was really shaping up to be a fight for control of the company. And for any challenge, any other challenges that Lululemon has, this one appears to be off the table now. Yeah, that's a really good thing for Lululemon shareholders. The last thing this company needed after it's all it's been through over the last year is this sort of distraction at the upper level. Uh, you know, Chip Wilson owned about 40 million shares, which is 27 percent of the company. It's certainly a big enough stake to, you know, cause some headaches in the board who really didn't want him around anymore, even though he was the founder and he's the chairman up until their annual 
annual meeting this year. I think really this is the best thing is to cut his stake, uh, decrease his involvement and influence, and you know eventually move away entirely. But the backstory, if people aren't familiar, I mean, he, he he tends to make a lot of interesting remarks. Basically. Controversial, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Like yeah. he he blamed the the, the see through pants on that that. Overly large women shouldn't be wearing his clothing to begin with, or something and, like that. And, and right, and when you have many a, other things, a actually. real quality control issue with your clothing, and you're trying to like not damage your brand with your core customer base, the last thing you need is a lightning rod personality yeah, like yeah. that. I'm curious how you guys view insider selling. Obviously, in this case, it is as we just discussed a, a, a situation where a founder stepping away, selling a, a stake. It's it's relieving a headache for the company. But, James, I'll just start with you. When you see that an insider of a stock that you own is selling, uh, is does that matter to you, or is it only in certain situations? Small amounts don't matter to me, usually. But I, I've been burned a bunch of times when I, when I should have heeded the warning of insider selling, and, and I did not. Can you give me one example? Uh, Leslie Westner, the, the CEO, former CEO of Limited Brands, I, I recommended his stock at Income Investor in, I don't know, maybe 06, late 06, early 07. And it was right after he'd sold, you know, you know, several many millions of dollars worth of of, of shares, and, and he was right, I was wrong. Ron, I I agree. It's a, it's typically a negative signal to me, and I don't like to see it. The one time I kind of let it go is if the CEO is getting up there in years, and a significant amount of his wealth and his family's wealth is tied up in that particular company, and for estate planning purposes, he's put a plan in place to to start lightening up. I think that makes perfect sense. I think that would be something that I would probably do as well, and and I can't really use that as a, a negative signal. But James, we were talking earlier, and uh, the idea of sort of automatic selling was brought up in the conversation because I, I look at that and I think, well, look, if if the CEO uh, assumes the office and then sets up a plan to, to begin to sell shares, I'm fine with that. I get the sense that, that you think that that's not automatically a benign thing. Well, I'm, I'm plugged into accounting circles, Chris. Actually, a, friend, a couple really? of friends of mine are accounting professors. One, <laughs> wow. of them, one of them, if you, uh, Alan Nerd. Jagelinzer, he's done uh, research on this. And if you search for uh, Jagelinzer 10B51, uh, that's, that's the, the automatic sales plan. You, he's shown that there's actually a, a significant spike in, in the, the price at which these planned sales are executed. Basically, the chart looks like a volcano, and, and the peak being the magically being that the day that the supposedly automatic uh, sales plans tend to actually make the sale. Uh, Charlie, let's go back to Lululemon. Where is the stock now? This is this is one that's you know had a great run, has come back to earth a little bit. When you look at this stock, is it fairly valued? Is it cheap now? Uh, I wouldn't call it cheap, but I, but I would put it in the realm of interesting. Uh, you know, for all the issues they've had, uh, this is a very attractive brand. Their same uh, their sales per square foot in the mall is cream of the crop level, uh, best of breed kind of company. Uh, the stocks come down dramatically from where it was a year ago. Uh, so if you're in, if you know this was a company you may have had on your watch list, I would definitely give it a closer look. With the one caveat being specialty retail is notorious oh, for yeah. being a tough yes, investment. Absolutely. And what's, yeah, what's yeah. hot one year is, is not the next, then you can get really burned. Procter & Gamble up this week after the consumer goods giant said it will be selling or cutting roughly half of all of the brands that it owns. And James, let me just give some context for our listeners. There are about 180 brands under the Procter & Gamble umbrella, uh, and chances are we've all got at least a couple of them in our home. Duracell batteries, Gillette razors, Tide detergent, Crest toothpaste. Uh, but most of the profits 
come from just about 70 or 80 of these brands. So it, it seems like a good move. They said they're going to be selling them or cutting them over the next two years. I guess my first question is, why did it take so long for them to figure out that somewhere in the neighborhood of a hundred brands aren't really contributing much? To the I think it's the operator question. You know, I, I, it's. Yeah, I think ninety-five percent of their profit is going to remain intact. It shouldn't have a big valuation impact. It reminds me of, of something like Facebook or LinkedIn, where you know you look on. I look on my LinkedIn profile. I have no idea who some of these people are. They're just they're just on there. <laughs> um, I mean, hopefully P and G knew a little bit more than that, but. You know, 95% of your, most of your friends, you know, you don't really interact with much. Most of the uh, things we do in life don't have much effect. And the same thing is happening for, for PNG. So, yeah, it's good that they're doing this now. It's embarrassing that it took them this long and the problem grew this big. But uh, is this something that could move the stock methodically uh, upward over the next couple of years? Because I could see just not just that we're cutting unprofitable brands, but if they can outright sell some of these, whether it's to private equity or to some other consumer products conglomerate, uh, that's cash on the balance sheet. It, it could be. You know, P&G famously botched a white cloud in, I want to say, it's about 20 years ago. The fabric softener? Uh, white, it was, sorry, it was, a, it was like a, a toilet paper. They let the patent expire, and I, I think Walmart got it, and, and since turned it into a billion-dollar brand, or, or somebody did, and, and and that was like a famous uh, mistake. So maybe somebody will do something with these divested brands. Oral-B, just from the articles about this, Oral-B seems to be uh, a talked about one. I always see their picture on here. Um, but, yeah, we don't know what's, what's going to happen. I, I think the ultimate thing, though, is innovation. I mean, they can get rid of the brands. That's going to remove some managerial costs and some distraction. But they still got to actually make things that people want to buy more. Speaking of innovation, they also own Charmin, which is the most popular brand of toilet paper in America. And this week, Charmin announced it is uh, it's going to be selling chamomile-scented toilet paper. And uh, let's bring in our man Steve Broido from the other side of the glass. Steve, let me hit you up with a direct quote from the announcement from Charmin. Each roll has the scent of chamomile added to the tube to create a bathroom experience that soothes, soothes all the senses while still providing the strong quality Charmin toilet paper consumers know and trust. All the senses, Steve. Uh, <laughs> Can I just say yuck? <laughs> chamomile was not the scent you would have uh, gone with? If I, don't, were the- I don't want to mix my teas with my restrooms. Just keep it <laughs> separate that's a weird weird product offering do you think that there were other scents that there were i have to believe there are other people saying no let's go with you know that's a full-time job testing those scents i would imagine creepy full-time job but a full-time job <laughs> drop us an email radio at fool.com weigh in with your preferred scented toilet paper up next we will talk investing in australia with an old friend Uncle Joe Mager is next. This is Motley Fool Money. He tried to look like he had a little bit of money. Welcome back to Motley Fool Money. I'm Chris Hill. Joe Mager is the lead advisor of the Motley Fool's Real Money Portfolio Service in Australia, while somehow still running the Motley Fool Inside Value Service here in the United States. He joins me in studio now. Do you not sleep? Is that is that no. how you're pulling this off? No. I have an eight-month-old that ensures that. <laughs> Um, it's great to have you back in the great studio. Great to be back. Great to be back in the States. Um, I want to talk about investing in Australia in a minute, but let's start broadly here in the U.S. because you are first and foremost a value investor. How, cheap. how hard is it for you to find value in the market Ooh, right now? Very hard. Very hard. So, you know, I try not to get too swept up in macro. 
because I don't think it's something that most investors do well, self-included. But every data point that I can find for a macro-level valuation is negative. Um, (laughs) You look at Buffett's favorite measure, it's U.S. total market cap against GDP or GNP, more or less same thing. It's at 120% right now. Long-term, it's around 100. That's way above. Uh, The only time that it's been above where it is today was the 2000 era. So I don't, I'm not suggesting that we're in for some sort of crazy correction, but that's high. Uh, CAPE ratio, so Robert Schiller measure that measures uh, the value of the S&P 500 against the earnings over the past decade. That's a 26. Historically, it's been 17. So there's that. There's that. And then when I look at you know individual companies, I value them all the time on a bottom-up basis. And frankly, I'm just not finding many ideas. There are companies that are selling it discounts to fair value. It's a tough market. So what do you do? Do you just sit on whatever cash you have on hand? Do you just bide your time? Or at some point, do you say, you know what, I just need to change my expectations about what I'm going to buy and the price at which I'm going to buy it? Yeah, you need to stay disciplined, but at the same time, stay invested. So I am a big fan of we are at the fool of always keeping your money in the market, not trying to time getting in or out. We're not market timers. The reality is you're probably going to be wrong. And it's better to get a, a low return than no return, which is more or less where you're going to get in cash these days. So, you know, realistically, I think over the next decade, we're probably going to be looking at mid to high single digit equity returns at the market level. But the thing is, that's much better than than zero. And the reality is if you if you choose well, you don't have to invest in the market. You invest in individual companies that are good businesses selling at good prices. You can beat that. Berkshire Hathaway, a company that you follow closely, you've been to the annual meeting before. They reported last week. I did want to touch on it, though, because, gosh, second quarter profits up 41%. Overall revenue for the quarter close to $50 billion, And it's such a huge company with 80 or so subsidiaries. But as someone who watches it closely, did anything stand out to you? Well, the insurance business continues to be the economic engine. So trains are a big deal there, BNSF. Uh, Mid-American Energy, also a big deal. And the company does continue to spread its wings, but insurance is incredibly successful for them. Geico in particular, they've been aggressively throwing money at marketing uh, in a very good way. They've been generating a lot of business, growing market share. Normally, when insurers grow market share quickly and grow business quickly, it's usually because they're buying bad business, and it usually turns out poorly. I actually get nervous when I see an insurance company that's growing quickly. Uh, not a Geico. Their results are continue to be strong, and it's really just driving the business. We were talking earlier in the week. You mentioned the acquisition of Heinz has been a huge success. Yeah. And at the time, some people were questioning it, not so much uh, for the valuation that was paid, but because of this uh, – relatively new way of acquisition that Berkshire Hathaway engaged in, bringing in a third party. Mm -hmm. But you think he may go back to this. Yeah, he might. I mean, it's it's clearly worked out fantastic. Heinz profits up about 50% over the past year. I certainly would have not expected that. I don't think anyone did. And I think if people realized how much uh, their Brazilian partners, 3G Capital, could come in and bring out, uh, they would have been for it. Uh, I think that this is going to be a platform for growth for Berkshire, which is about a half owner of this business. Um, Yeah. I mean, they've got great distribution, great brands. They can now go out and buy individual brands, plug that into the distribution. And I think that 3G is 
clearly a great partner, uh, good buddies with Buffett, and they've certainly proven to be good business partners. So as a Berkshire shareholder, I'd be more than happy to back any deal with them. You're listening to Motley Fool Money, talking with Joe Mager, lead advisor of the Motley Fool's Real Money Portfolio Service in Australia, when he's not running Motley Fool Inside Value. You are someone who has been a big fan of Google's business, and you have been in the past pretty skeptical, certainly when they were on the verge of going public, of Facebook. Mm-hmm. Now that they've been public for just over two years, how are they looking? Better than I expected. <laughs> Yeah. How big a surprise was that? Because when they first went public, right out of the gate, as you know, the stock dropped. The big question was, are they going to be able to make any money off of mobile mobile advertising? And they have answered that question and then some. Yeah. You know, I think when you look at something like Google, in hindsight, it should have been a little more obvious to all of us that the the growth story was very clear. I know people self-included, thought it was expensive and that there wasn't a moat around search. But in hindsight, I do think that there are a lot of people who correctly identified where things were going. With Facebook, I really think these guys just blew past expectations in ways I don't think even bulls could have really expected. There was zero revenue coming from mobile, and now it's a tremendous cash cow. And one of the big knocks, which I you know, talked about at the time, was that the platform was built for desktop. You know, Twitter was built for mobile. Facebook was built for desktop. I think what I really underestimated with Facebook was how much of a photo sharing platform it would become and how ubiquitous the the selfie, the the dinner shot. You know, I'm having this great dinner. I'm having a great time with my family. I'm at the beach. I'm on vacation. It's incredible the number of photos that flow through there and just the mobile engagement for people that are on there is, you know, just way above anything I would have forecast. How much do you think these two companies have one another in their sites? Because you look out at the coverage in the financial media, you can find people saying these two companies are absolutely on a collision course and others saying, no, 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 there's room for both. I think there's room for both, but probably not within the individual verticals on which they compete. So, you know, Google has Google Plus. It's no Facebook. And Facebook has search, but it's no Google. Facebook is a platform, but it's not an operating system, which Google has. Uh, Facebook has tried to work around that when they rolled out Facebook Home. That was a pretty big flop. So I do think that it will be hard for Google to out Facebook Facebook and Facebook to out Google. Neither of them is going to succeed at that. I do think that Facebook will succeed in winning a lot of share in online advertising. They got great data. And, you know, here at The Fool, we've we've had good success using Facebook advertising ourselves. And we didn't even start using it until somewhat recently. So I think a lot of people will come around to that conclusion. I don't think that's necessarily a problem for Google, though. They've been growing consistently at 20% for years. You know, it's nothing to sneeze at. And a lot of Facebook growth is not necessarily coming from Google, which has great depth inventory, touches a lot of people, but from the Yahoo's of the world and other second-ranked, second-tier providers of ad space. I would be remiss if I did not ask you about General Motors, because that's yet another company you have followed closely at Inside Value for years. That's a very kind way of putting it. <laughs> uh, roughly 30 million vehicles. GM has recalled so far in 2014 uh, a lot of enthusiasm at the beginning of the year for Mary Barr, the new CEO, but she has an enormous challenge on her hands. I am curious, 
Why is this stock a buy to you? Well, it's been a very painful few years. So the shares are flat from where I recommended them, and the market is up 70%. So that hurts. Um, What's frustrating is that a lot of what I thought would happen with the GM thesis has played out, but not all. The I was right about the call with the U.S. auto market bouncing back in a big way, and everyone is benefiting from that. But GM has just consistently shot themselves in the foot. Obviously, these product problems, you know, it's such a shame because GM had really gone so far on shedding quality image issues. They'd really made a lot of traction, and now they just completely obliterated a lot of that. It's going to take them time to win that back. They haven't cut costs as quickly as I thought they would. And they do have a lot of new a lot of new plates, makes, models coming out. That is strong. That's going to boost margins. That's going to boost enthusiasm for the brands. That said, some of those of the roles, the Silverado, has been out for a while now, hasn't really been a big win for them. So that's why it's been disappointing. Now, all that said, <laughs> balance sheet, still in great shape. I think that right now, you know, the shares are very out of favor, uh, partially because they've been underperforming, which is not a a good reason to not own them. But also, you know, the overhang with the bad news, I think a lot of that's going to fade. 3.6% dividend yield, it's a nice plus as well. You're listening to Motley Fool Money, talking with Joe Mager, analyst at Motley Fool Inside Value and at our service in Australia. Let's talk about Australia. How is, about it. how is the market Vegemite. <laughs> you get used to it. Really? Yeah. I, say, I it took a little bit. You got to start, you put some butter on there. Okay, so you got to work your way into it. So if I find myself in Australia, I shouldn't just go straight Vegemite. I got to mix it in with something just to sort of ease it in. Absolutely. Okay, that's a good tip. Order a flat white too. A what? A flat white. What is a flat white? That's like the the iconic coffee of Australia. Okay, well, you could have just said coffee, and uh, you would have had me there. Oh man, the, the, the day we got there, we came in off a of red eye. I was exhausted. I go into this restaurant. I'm like, "Can I get a coffee, please?" Oh, what kind? A coffee, a black one. No, what kind of coffee? <laughs> Turns out there are like five or six different kinds of coffee. When you, you don't just order a coffee in Australia, it's very, very intricate. I was very frustrated and tired. All right, I, I want more tips in a moment. Yep. But first, how is the market down there, uh, uh, and how is investor sentiment in Australia? Well, the market is expensive. Uh, you know, twenty-three years without a recession—it's the longest streak in the world. That tends to breed a lot of confidence. You've got 40-year-old professional investors that haven't witnessed a recession <laughs> in their adult lives. I mean, that's this is really incredible. You this see, is never going to stop. No. It's good times forever. Uh, I think a lot of stocks are priced as if nothing bad will happen again. And that's usually around the time that bad things happen. Uh, you know, I'm not in the business of uh, being a perma bear, but I am cautious. And we're being very conservative with our portfolio right now. Is there a particular industry or a particular company that you've got your eyes on? Yeah. Well, I'm always a big fan of strong, reliable, recurring revenue, anything platform-based. I like enterprise sales a lot. So one company, it's a New Zealand-based company that's listed in Australia. It's called Zero. That's X-E-R-O. Zero is a cloud, cloud-based software uh, small business accounting company. So it's a lot like QuickBooks. Only imagine if QuickBooks was in the cloud. QuickBooks is actually in the cloud in the U.S. Uh, but Zero was there very early. Uh, accounting software for small business doesn't sound very sexy. And you think, who cares about the cloud You know what? Part? It's not just that it doesn't sound sexy. It's not. 
they make it exciting. Okay. And I swear I've had so many members and people come up to me and say that they love using the software. I know it seems far-fetched, but they're very passionate about it. Um, retention rates are incredibly high. And they've had great ability in cross-selling, and they're rolling out a lot of new products. And they're expanding into the U.S. aggressively right now. And they're actually going to IPO in the U.S. either later this year or early next. IPO expectations, I'm sure it's not going to be on the level of Alibaba, which is no. set to be enormous. But is, <laughs> no. this, is this one we should definitely put on our watch list? When yeah. It here? yeah, we own it at Pro. You know, it, it'll... IPO at a, a few billion dollar valuation. They got 300,000 customers, so it's rapidly growing. It's still a small business in the grand scheme of things, but they've got 27% market share in New Zealand growing quickly. So it's a, it's a real business. One more tip for me. If I get to Sydney and travel throughout Australia, what's, what's a must-see sort of under-the-radar tip for tourists don't tell me about the Opera House. I know about the Opera House. I've seen Finding Nemo, so I, okay. I'm aware. I'll, I'll get to the Opera House. But what's what's one more like? Hey, if you if you make that trek, here's one thing you got to go. Well, Great Barrier Reef is almost a cliche, but I'll go with Uluru. So a lot of people would know Uluru as Ayers Rock. Uh, Uluru is the name of the uh, indigenous people. What they actually call it. Are you familiar with Uluru? I'm not. It is the giant red rock. I am certain you've seen a photo of it at some point, probably in a science tech book at some point. It's right smack dab in the middle of the country, and it is this enormous rock sitting in the middle of just a vast expanse of red dirt. It's just incredibly beautiful. Uh, you have to fly. You fly out there. It's a tiny, tiny airport, and it's a niche little thing, but we went out and had uh, dinner out in the desert and watched sunrise come up over Uluru. It's just beautiful beautiful it sounds like something out of a movie it's a, and by a movie it felt I, like it. I mean like a sci-fi movie it sounds like aliens came and dropped this enormous red rock in the middle of australia yeah that's what it looks like <laughs> get back there safe and uh you're welcome anytime here man thank you coming up next we'll give you an inside look at the stocks on our radar you're listening to motley full money cash cold that's what i need as always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against, so don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. Welcome back to Motley Fool Money. Chris Hill here in studio with James Early and Charlie Travers and Ron Gross once again. Uh, before we get to the stocks on our radar, guys, I want to give a shout-out uh, and a big thanks to Kareem Yergaliev, uh, one of our Stock Advisor members who lives in and works in Kazakhstan. He was visiting this week with his wife, Sarah, and uh, brought tribute in the form of chocolate from Kazakhstan, which uh, the chocolate bars are wrapped with duplicates of Kazakh currency, which is, uh, as I was saying during the break, is just yet another reminder that the U.S. has among the most boring currency in the world. (laughs) It's just the Kazakh currency is just beautiful. Look at that. You had me at chocolates, but then you throw in currency. (laughs) Uh, All right. Let's get to the stocks that are on our radar this week. We'll bring in our man, uh, Steve Reuter, from the other side of the glass to hit you with a question. Ron Gross, what do you got? All right, Steve. Follow me here. Big five. Ticker symbol F-I-V-E. And here's what's interesting. It's a recent recommendation from our Hidden Gems newsletter. And our Motley Fool Pro service recently sold it short. Completely different opinions. 
coming out of the same company. It's very motley. It's very foolish. We like that here. But it's, it's, it's an interesting um, thing to watch. 323 stores. They think they can get to 2,000. A lot of competition out there, obviously, from the sporting, dollar stores. Sporting goods. What is it? Uh, it's everything you could imagine for $5 Oh, like less. a 5 buck and below, kind of like a dollar um, store. Yeah, but, yeah. but they go after higher... Um, more affluent clients than a typical dollar store um, would go in there. <laughs> They're in better strip malls, and it's really interesting. There's just a lot of competition, and the stock isn't necessarily cheap. And there's the discrepancy between Hidden Gems and Pro, but I'm looking at it closely. Steve, question about Big Five? Can you be a high-end store if your products are $5 or under? <laughs> I'm, I took my son in once, little research, and he was like, whoa, this is awesome. Every single thing, $5? And I said, go nuts. What did he buy? Candy. Did that answer? The, <laughs> did that answer the question though? Did it actually answer Steve's question? To be honest, um, I think there is a place for it. I, do, I honestly do. Yeah, James Early, what's on your radar? This I'm week? going with Apollo Investment Management. The ticker is AINV. This is an income investor recommendation. I had a long time ago. I sold and then I, I re-added nine point two percent yield. This Ooh. is a business development company that makes risky loans. Somebody's got to do it. And it's decent business. And with recent regulation, it's harder for banks themselves to make risky loans. That means it's a little bit more uh, lucrative for the companies that do. Their average loan yield is now 11.1%. They're actually moving into the safer end of the risky loan spectrum at that. But you still get a 9.2% yield. Steve, question about Apollo? Is there a dividend yield that makes you run away from a stock? It depend- I mean, anything above 7% is, is going to be risky uh, pretty much for sure. It just depends on what else you're getting and what the situation is. I just like the idea of the safer end of the risky <laughs> spectrum. Oh, senior secured loans. Yeah. That's like the more affluent dollar stores. Exactly. <laughs> exactly right. Actually. Charlie Travers, we've got about a minute left. What do you got? Uh, King Digital reports earnings this week. Uh, tickers K-I-N-G. And unlike Zynga, King Digital actually makes a boatload of money. Because, How about that? Uh, because of Candy Crush Saga. Many of you have probably played this game. Uh, they have 350 million monthly users. Only uh, 12 million of them actually pay the company anything. Most of these games are free to play. Uh, and the ones who do pay, on average, about $18 a month. So I think there's a lot of opportunity there if they can get more people to start paying a little bit of those microtransactions. And if they can keep rolling out the games, uh, which they actually have a very good track record of doing, uh, the stock's only at 10 times earnings. Uh, so it does look interesting. Steve? Can I still go to Farmville? <laughs> that would be a Zynga. Zynga. <laughs> The answer, feel is, free. The yes. answer is yes, and I'm sure the uh, people at Zynga and all of their shareholders would love it if you would go to Farmville and buy a few digital pigs or something like that. Uh, do you have a stock you like there, Big Five, Apollo, King Digital? Apollo, 9% sounds pretty interesting in today's environment. So, yeah. I knew that's where it was going. Yeah. All right. Thanks for being here, guys. Thanks, that Chris. is going to do it for this week's show. The show is mixed by Gail Año Nuevo. Our engineer is Steve Broido. Our producer is Matt Greer. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week. We'll be right back. 